Hey folks, before we get to today's episode, we wanted to take a moment to talk to you about something non-magic related. On Friday, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe v. Wade, removing women's right to an abortion on a national level. This decision threatens the health and safety of millions of women across the country. We rarely deviate from magic-focused content on the show, but staying silent on this issue is not an option. For those of you who have been consumed by this news over the past few days, we hope our show can provide you some escape for the next hour in these scary and uncertain times. For those of you who have not been consumed by this news, we encourage you to change that. Reach out to the women in your life and be allies to them. Seek out organizations continuing to fight for women's rights over their bodies and give them your time and money if you have the means to do so. Our community of listeners is second to none. If you're feeling sad, scared, angry, frustrated, confused, or helpless, know that you're not alone. Magic is about the gathering and we need to lean on each other now more than ever. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I had my first ever dream about the podcast, I think. Oh, my goodness. Like an actor's nightmare style dream. Yeah. So we had. <laughs> it was the day that I had added to this 50 takes show notes right here, and I woke up panicked because I had somehow left off that the graveyard mattered in 50 SNC takes because I had gotten this and THB like combined in my head somehow. (laughs) And everyone thought that THB and SNC were the same format. And everyone was like emailing us and like talking at me in Twitch chat about how washed we were because we didn't know that the graveyard (laughs) mattered in SNC. And it was it was terrible. I was so panicked when I woke up. Honestly, that does sound pretty nightmarish. I don't really need the internet shouting at me that I'm washed up. Get out of get out of the scene, old man. You're done. Yeah. So there are officially there are officially too many magic formats coming out. We have 67 days of Streets of New Capenna left on my Magic Online League, and we are doing the 50 Takes episode right now. (laughs) And we have two formats that we should be covering that are coming out simultaneously in Double Masters 2022 and Baldur's Gate Alchemy Horizons. This is wild. And we're also having the Chromatic Cube 2.0 on for two weeks right now. And we're also not really going to be touching on that, though. Maybe we'll, we'll chat about it just briefly before we get into the 50 takes. Yeah. What was the thing that uh, um, Cube April, who is one of the Scryfall devs, uh, posted that like, it's just like the, the chart of the last 10 years of cards being printed. And like, it's just more and more and more and more every single year. Like almost exponentially more. Like, right. It has jumped from like, a couple thousand to like 6,000 plus in like four or five or six years. Yeah. And and projected that this year it'll be like over 8,000. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Just, yeah. Wild, wild, wild. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be sending off Streets of New Capenna in Lords of Limited fashion. Today, we're going to be doing our 50 takes in 50 minutes style episode, which is great for folks to come back to if they never played the format before. And it's coming back to Arena in you know a few months, a few years, whatever. Um, we always like to send folks to these episodes and also just a great way to sort of synthesize our thoughts about the format at, uh, at the end and to wrap it up and, uh, and send it out in a hearse. 
if you will. Um, but before we get into that, uh, <laughs> we got a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we like to give people some perks if they feel like, hey, I want to give back to the show. And we're like, all right, well, we want to show our appreciation for you giving back to the show. So you get access to our Discord. You can get access to the show a day early. You can get access to show notes in advance of the episode. Uh, you can even get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben as you move up all the way up the reward tiers. Um, I mean, we're talking about how many sets are being released for Magic these days. And I think the Discord is just a fantastic resource for that. Just like we really have a lot of channels to be able to discuss what you want to discuss. If you want to dive in and talk about Double Masters in anticipation of grinding it on Magic Online or, you know, just going to one pre-release or one draft at your LGS, whatever, you know, we've got that for you in the Discord. It's a really fantastic community. And of course, each and every week, we want to welcome our new members to the fold. So this week we are welcoming Zachary, Gregory, and Brian. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough for real. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. And if there's a lot of magic sets coming out, you better believe there's a lot going on at Channel Fireball. <laughs> We've got Double Masters 2022 pre-orders in full swing. Obviously, there's no Alchemy Horizons stuff that <laughs> for sale at Channel Fireball since that is a digital only format, but um, if you're into Double Masters and you want to get prepped for a pre-release, I just wrote a sweet article uh, that's going up on CFB Pro. I know there's going to be Baldur's Gate Alchemy Horizons content going up on CFB Pro from me, you, Alex, all that sort of stuff. So we're not necessarily going to be able to do podcast episodes about everything just because there's so much coming out, but we will try to cover everything in written form over on CFB Pro. So if you're on there, great. If you're not, and that's of interest to you, you really can get on essentially for free if you're spending money already at a store like Channel Fireball, and you can use their new marketplace to support LGSs with the money that you spend on CFP Pro. So if you sign up for 10 bucks a month, you get that same amount back in store credit, and then use that to support LGSs. So it's kind of win-win for you if you're spending money on Magic cards already. You get free access to articles, essentially. Um, so for anything that you're doing over there, whether it's signing up for CFP Pro for the first time, getting that Double Masters product in your hands, please make sure you use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. What? An awesome place Channel Fireball is. I mean, honestly, like I thought that before starting to work for them. I still think that now having worked for them for almost two years now, uh, just like the fact that they're using their platform to support LGSs, to support content creators, or to allow folks who consume content or buy magic cards to support LGSs and support content creators. It's uh, just an awesome place. I would second that wholeheartedly. I feel very much a part of Channel Fireball, and it's a really cool place to work. Yeah. Um, let's touch on Chromatic Cube just briefly. I think it is largely similar to uh, how it was last year uh, when it first came out. We did an episode on Chromatic Cube. I believe it's episode 213 is our uh, Chromatic Cube or Cracking Chromatic Cube is the episode title. Um, any thoughts about it, having played it for a few days now, Ben? It feels a little faster to me than the last time around. I think you can't derp around quite as much to do the big splashy things. I think if you are trying to win, just depends on what your goals are. If you're trying to win, <laughs> I think you want to keep your curve pretty low. Like it's important to pick two drops aggressively, especially good ones because they're not a ton. Like the two mana ramp is really good. And the, honestly, the two mana interactive spells are really good as well to be able to kill your opponent's mana dorks and things like that. Um, but I was more impressed with the aggressive decks this time around. I've drafted a mono white deck that just mm -hmm. seven owed super easily. Red black is a super supported, you know, pretty low curve, aggressive, interactive. There's like a sacrifice package. And there's also just red black 
good stuff that's got a low efficient curve. But then there also still is all of the ramp up to the insane high powered, you know, top end spells. But there's so many more alchemy cards this time around, which juice the power level a little bit. And it feels like there's more commander cards to me that the impression I got was that it was very commander esque. And I don't mean that negatively. It just was there's a lot of sweet legendary things that I don't remember from the last time around and a lot of ways to go really big with those legendary stuff. Yeah, the thing that I noticed that was super different is it feels a lot more creature centric. Like the things that I remember when I went back and listened to our Chromatic Cube episode, uh, looking at our, our show notes or whatever, looking at my old draft logs is that the things I remember at the top end were like big spells, like the Time Walk Effects or Sublime Epiphany or, I don't know, Ruinous Ultimatums, like the Ultimatums. Like I remember these big spells. Now it feels like the big stuff to do is largely creature-based. Yeah, I got owned by Chilane Teller of Tales. I had oh no idea God. what that card was. It was two white, blue, green for a 2-4 that lets you ramp, draw cards. Like my opponent just went off yeah i have a deck right now that has uh has chulane it's a nice nice bant or, or are we just saying brokers now maybe we should say brokers because of the style of episode we're doing um it's a uh it's a, a broker's deck with chulane and a bunch of other sweet creatures and ramp and i'm, I'm definitely looking forward to finishing that out after uh, we finish recording speaking of the episode and brokers i am excited to put brokers to bed <laughs> all right well let's get right into it here we've got our 50 takes in 50 minutes we're gonna put 50 minutes on the clock and starting off with point number one Streets of New Capenna was billed as a three-color format, setting us up to think we were going back to Cons of Tarkir. Spoiler, we were not. Wrong. I mean, I, I think we can never really go back to Cons unless we're doing Morph. Like, Morph really was what made that format, I think, so unique in the sense of it felt a little slower. Uh, certainly, there were aggressive decks, but felt a little slower in terms of, like, tap land, tap land, three mana, two, two on turn three was what a lot of folks were doing. Um, this, I mean, as we will unpack a lot of why it doesn't feel that way, this is, is very much the opposite of that. It's, it's very much a streamlined two-color format in my mind. Yes, I completely agree. And I think... Honestly, even if that had been billed as the set, I still would have been ultimately, I think, disappointed by the set, which I think is going to be a theme throughout these 50 takes. Mm -hmm. But it was just so, so streamlined, so streamlined and so prescripted what you were supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Number two, not since Adventures in the Forgotten Realms have we seen a set more defined by color imbalance. So white is head and shoulders above the rest, right? And as a result... So is Brokers. I mean, maybe not as a result, but in tandem with, you know, things like Lagrella and Discipline Duelist, whatever. Brokers is also, you know, head and shoulders above the other five or other four families. And red is far and away the worst. And as a result, so was, you know, red green based decks. Red black, I think, could really hang, but largely due to black being good um, and that deck just being, you know, maybe greater than the sum of its parts. Um, but red green really struggled in this format as well. Yeah, I would put green pretty close to red as one of the worst colors in the format, even though green was really good in brokers. It felt like green got pulled up by white a little bit, you know? Yeah, it was like Jewel Thief and then white was just really pulling it up. I maybe maybe Jewel Thief and Civil Servant are the are the two offenders there. Yes, I think those were the only two premium cards in green for sure. Yeah. Number three, Inspiring Overseer is the most mythic common we've ever seen. You know, I, I, when I wrote my article of like redesigning Streets of New Capenna for CFB Pro, I went and looked at the data because I was like, you know, in, in my recent memory of offensive commons is Organ Hoarder. I was like, oh, Inspiring Overseer has to be like, it's similar to Organ Hoarder. So Overseer was like number nine or number 10 game in hand win rate. Uh, overall in the set on 17 lands. Organ Hoarder, I think, was 22. So 
a lot further down than Inspiring Overseer was. A lot more format warping was Inspiring Overseer. That is wild. So if you're coming back to the format, two and a white for a 2-1 flyer, ETB, draw a card, gain a life. And it was obvious from spoiler season that this was going to be great. I don't think we would have pegged it being quite this great or this this high up in the game in hand win rate on 17 lands, but it was insanely powerful. You felt very far behind if your opponent cast one. It's part of the huge reason that white was the best color and that you could honestly force white to a certain extent because you were likely to get past one or see one over the course of the draft. And it was that valuable to open one or get past one. Yeah, it reminds me of Ecstatic Awakener a little bit in the sense of like, and this is the black one drop from Midnight Hunt uh, that you could pay two a black, sack a creature, draw a card, and it flipped into a 4-4. Four, four. Um, it reminded me of that card in the sense of like Ecstatic Awakener was a lot less, I don't know, when it hit the battlefield, I never felt this like feeling of dread like I did with other you know bombs in the format or whatever. But I knew that it was going to be a problem. And that's the same way I felt about Inspiring Overseer. Like every time it hit the battlefield, I was like, well, that's like, that's a little annoying. But like what it actually represents in terms of win percentage is so much more than that. Yeah. Number four, the other defining feature of the format was how important two drops were. Two drops the format. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just like the thing now. I don't know why it felt so pronounced in this format, though. It really did to the point where it felt like if you were switching lanes later in the draft and you didn't have two drops, it was a disaster. It made it very difficult to pivot even between two color archetypes that shared a color, you know, like even pivoting from white green to white blue. If your two drops were green primarily, it was tough to make that shift. You just had to have six, seven, eight cards in your two drop slot that were good cards. Yeah, I mean, I had a draft with a, in a coaching session last week where we were brokers, but we were base blue green because all of our two drops were green or blue cards. So I was like, OK, well, that's that's what we are. I guess we're like base blue green and then, you know, splash in a duelist, splash in an overseer or rabble rousing or whatever. But you really just you couldn't pivot. It's like, OK, well, I guess we have to we have these civic gardeners. We got to play them, you know? Yeah. And I think that was a couple of things. One, the format was pretty fast, right? You could get behind super easily. And there were great combat tricks to leverage getting ahead. Like you were so far behind if you fell behind. So it was just disastrous to not have a two drop on turn two. And I think this was warped even more. And we'll talk about this a little bit more with the, the uh, two color commons. But the presence of civil servant, I think warped things a lot in the sense of civil servant being a three toughness two drop. So then three power two drops became really important because they could trade with civil servant. And then I think it's pretty interesting coming off of formats where one drops were king to have so many of them fall flat here, right? Like the cabaret initiate, broker's initiate, even expendable lackey weren't all that important cards. Like the two drops was where it was at. Two drops definitely were where it was at, but I will defend expendable lackey to my dying days. I think that card was underappreciated. Lackey's a very, very good card. But I think like going in, I was like, oh, this is going to be the best blue common. No question. And there definitely, definitely were questions. So what do you think is the best blue common? Do you think it's Lackey or do you think it's the 2-3 the flyer? I think it's probably the 2-3 flyer. I mean, I, you could make a case for make disappear. We'll talk about that a little later. Ooh, but yeah. uh, but I just don't I don't think it's Lackey. Number five, the big five being cheap and aggressively slanted were a huge reason for the format default being two-color aggro deck. So we're talking, of course, about those two-color commons, Snooping Newsy, Body Dropper, Civil Servant, Celestial Regulator, and Jet Mirror's Fixer. Yeah, I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. Yeah. Before playing with the cards, I was like, look, I'm a little worried about these. 
I think they're good. And if they're good, I think this is going to feel like a guild set. And I think I'm not going to like it very much. And that was the format. <laughs> yeah. Check, 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 check. Those were all correct. Though you did. You it was funny. You you had that as your opinion. Then the next week you walked it back. And then the week after you were like, no, no, no I was right. I was right. Never, <laughs> never doubting myself. Yeah. I mean, these cards are just so pushed, especially Civil Servant and Body Dropper. If you look at them are just insanely powerful and then snooping newsy and jetmere's fixer are also great too at two mana and then celestial regulator as three mana being a huge tempo play and evasive threat in the color pair blue white that wanted to play a tempo aggro game just fit so well and they just pushed you to make sure that you could cast them on curve and the way to do that was to play two colors yep that's exactly right number six Combat tricks were strong, cheap, and plentiful, making blocking very difficult. I mean, so we just have to know now, coming off of Neon Dynasty, and now with, with Majestic Metamorphosis, that these blue tricks that, like, change the power and toughness and, and of, more importantly, draw a card uh, are just very, very good. So we have Metamorphosis, we have For the Family, as I, it took me way too long to understand why this card was so, so good. Luxurious Libation at Uncommon, Fate Your Own Death. Quick Draw Dagger, a.k.a. Embercleave, just so many things <laughs> that punished you for blocking. Yeah, I really do think blocking was illegal in the format. And this is the first <laughs> time in my awareness of being a good magic player drafter or whatever that I really felt that so acutely. You know, like that's the thing people say about Zendikar from back in the day, but I wasn't really playing then. And I think it was for a different reason. Like there it was creature sizing, right? That, you know, your plated geopedes were just, you know, five fives and you literally couldn't block without chump blocking. Here, your creatures looked like they matched up, right? Your 3-2 looks like it matches up with Civil Servant as a 2-3 or a 3-3 lifelink and that you can trade. But all of these combat tricks being so good and so powerful were just such good ways to leverage tempo that you were so incentivized to play a two drop and then ride these combat tricks to a huge advantage over your opponent when they tried to block. I mean, if you block a Majestic Metamorphosis, your opponent two for one you. If you block a Quick Draw Dagger, they eat your creature while growing their creature with an equipment that they can move around for one mana to make better attacks for themselves. For the family, one mana removal spell. Fake your own death. Two mana removal spell. Potentially rebuy an ETB trigger on something like Inspiring Overseer. They were just so powerful and so pushed. Number seven, shield counters are incredibly strong and often felt like a two for one, even on the weakest creatures. Shout out to your boy, the dappest of shield mates. The dappest of shield mates. Three to white for the two two. Divine, no, not divine shield. Dollar in the swear jar. <laughs> shield <laughs> counter. And on your turn, it was a four two. I mean, yeah. that is. A clunky magic card if I've ever seen one, but it played out much better than it looks on paper just because shield counters were so good. Yeah, just so hard. I mean, it was so hard to effectively one for one them, which brings us to our next point. Number eight, as a result, removal that can one for one with shield counters was super important. Yeah, I mean, whack, deal gone bad, call in a professional, the blowouts there were real, being able to, you know, just make damage, not be able to be prevented for that turn. You could turn off n uh, multiple shield counters at once, uh, hold for ransom just to lock it down, run out of town to put it on top of their library. Those were important effects. And you'll notice, I mean, red has one at uncommon there, but red really had a tough time. Red and green had a tough time interacting with shield counters favorably. I'm assuming you never did this because you're good at Magic the Gathering, but for some reason, Torch Breath tripped me up so much with shield counters. I punted twice with Torch Breath in the same way, where Torch Breath says it can't be countered on it. And for some reason, shield counters are like ward to me and can't mm. be countered gets around ward. So I always tried to torch breath shield counters things and then was very sad when 
the shield counter still worked because it is not like ward. I don't think I ever misplayed with it, but I definitely had times where I had uh, Torch Breath in my hand, saw a thing with a shield counter and just thought to myself, well, let me just read Torch Breath one more time and see if it'll get around <laughs> the shield counter. But but it never could. Yeah. Number nine, connive is a great hand smoothing mechanic. And what I thought, I think because of, you know, playing with blood um, from Crimson Vow, I was thinking, well, you you want some like some expendable things or some recurrable things to pitch like, a, you know, your persistent specimens from that format. But you don't really even need the disposable cards like Expendable Lackey or Fiend's Guidance to make connive good or like it just doesn't feel bad to have the choice of, OK, I could pitch a land or I could pitch a spell, which is fine because I need to like dig towards more lands or whatever. The spell is irrelevant or more importantly, I just want my Echo Inspector to be a three, four. The best was when you were casting Echo Inspector or something on an empty hand and you were just like spell, 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 cheering for yeah, the top yeah, of yeah. your deck to have a spell so that you got the plus one plus one counter for free. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, I agree. Knight was just very powerful on its own, and the it was upside if you certainly had cards like Expendable Aki in your deck when you had a lot of Knive, but I agree, it was not necessary for Knive to be good. Yeah, for sure. I think a great example of Knive being powerful was just Rafine's Informant, right? This was not on people's radar, I don't think, until the data came out. You had it as a top common, I did not when we were going into the format, but I don't think mm-hmm. anyone thought it was going to be as good as it was. This was a one and a white for the two one and when ETBs you connive. Some of that was how important two drops were, but some of it was how powerful connive was on a two drop like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's so, totally true. And I think also part of it being that Rafine's informant could be a three power two drop, which also was very important. Yes. Number 10, lands are not a priority in draft. Yeah, I mean, this was a big shift for me. It it happened early, but it was certainly a big shift for me. I thought these were going to be really important picks. They were going to be defining, you know, of course, remembering cons of Tarkir and how you could just like draft a bunch of lands and then draft the best cards in packs two and three. But you just this was the opposite. You wanted to figure out your two color base first and then the lands would come to you later. You just didn't need you. You did not want to take lands early in pack one because it was such a disaster. If you drafted lands, if you were taking like Maestro's Theater and you ended up green white or I guess more more commonly it would be like taking Broker's Hideout and then ending up red black or something. Yeah, well, and that's because it wasn't a three color format, right? We assumed lands were going to be good because we trusted wizards that it was a three color <laughs> format and it just wasn't. It was a two colored allied gold pair format that you were occasionally splashing a third color in. And if you read the draft right and you found the open two color allied color pair for your seat, you oftentimes got the lands that go with that late as well because nobody else was interested in those lands because it really was a two color format. Yeah. And I think the lands in order of importance once you know your two color base are the dual lands were the best because not only were they really good at helping you cast those two color two drops on time, but also being able to cash them in for a fresh card later in the game if the game went to a sort of mid to late game stage was really important. Yeah. And then there was the rare cycling lands. Those were good. And then I think coming in a solid third were family fetch lands, which were honestly a cool design. But there was one thing that was super awkward about them, which was like, let's say you're blue, black, splashing red, and you have a snooping newsy in your opening hand and you have Island Swamp and the Maestro's Family Fetch Land. Like normally you want to lead on your ETB tapped land yeah. and search up your splash color, but you couldn't do that because if you searched up a mountain with your Maestro's Theater, then you couldn't play Snooping Newsy on turn two. And it was so common to want to play those, you know, allied color gold commons on curve and those there was just dissonance there with how the Family Fetches played. Also, the Family Fetch Lands made 
paper play a true nightmare. Just like everybody <laughs> was like, turn one, fetch land, shuffle, 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 shuffle. Okay, turn four, fetch land, shuffle, 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 shuffle. Just just horrible. I did not have that experience, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing the, the team sealed event uh, at the SCG Con Pittsburgh was just like you and your two teammates and your opponent and their two teammates all shuffling on turn one was just... Just a wild scene. Number 11, <laughs> you should almost always blitz out your creatures when you can. ABB, Ben, always be blitzing. Yeah, and I think there are some exceptions to that. One is when you're behind. Like, Girder Goons is way less good of a magic card when you're yeah. behind. And then I think you really want to play a two drop on turn two, right? Like, you don't want to blitz right. Mayhem Patrol on turn two unless you are desperate to find a third land drop or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, which is nice to have that modality. But generally, you want to build up a board presence of like one to three creatures. And then once you have that board presence, then you want to always be blitzing, right? Right, exactly, exactly. I think, you know, Mayhem Patrol and uh, Riveteer's Requisitioner were exceptions in terms of, hey, I'm happy to play these on turn two. And then basically everything else, like always blitzing Plasma Jockey, hoping to always blitz Pugilist and Girdragoons and Nightclubber. All, all those cards were just way better as get the effect, get the attack, draw a card. Yes, but you had to make sure you were ahead on board first. Yes, for sure. Number 12, with Body Droppers and Casualty, Involuntary Employment was easy to enable in a red-black sacrifice deck. Did you just have like just images of what AFR could have been in terms of what if price of loyalty was uncommon? Because I definitely just felt like if involuntary employment was common, I think that deck would have been way more busted, certainly not brokers broken, but a little bit more busted. And I was just like, man, just that one rarity shift really changes things. Yeah, for sure. Was a nice adjustment on Wizards part. Number 13, Pyre Sledge Arsonist is one of the coolest build arounds in the format. So this is two in red for the two two at uncommon, and you can pay one and tap it to deal X damage to any target where X is the number of permanents you sacrifice this turn. So really cool to like give it death touch with Venom Connoisseur and, you know, two creatures entering the battlefield. Very cool to just like, you know, dome your opponent, like combo them out with a bunch of treasures with bootlegger stash, maybe. And really cool to get multiple activations out of it with untap effects from Civic Gardener and Halo Fountain. Yeah, notice we said cool and not good. <laughs> Yes, Ben, they know. They know there's no fun to be had in the format. And we're just we're just, you know, scrapping at, at uh, playables here, you know? Well, I think it's a I think it's a distinction to make, because if you're coming back to the set, like Pyre Sludge Arsonist looks like a powerful build around, right? And the build arounds just don't get there. They were just all like, psych, gotcha from Wizards yeah. of the Coast, because the format was so fast because of all the two drops. And this being a three mana two two just meant that it didn't pull its weight as a creature. And there wasn't time always to do the cool stuff. And I think certainly you could build a deck around Pyre Sludge Arsonist and it could be good, but you had to support it with other cards, I think, to make it effective. Yeah. And a lot of problems with a lot of the build arounds were that they needed multiple non-commons to work, whether that were those were whether those were uncommons, rares, or or sometimes mythics in the case of bootlegger stash, that it, it wasn't even reliable. Like you saw the Pyre Sludge Arsonist, you were like, cool, I can make this work. It was like, no, I need this plus three other uncommons, and then I need to draw them in the right order. So you were you were asking for trouble a lot of the time. Yes. Number 14, Arcane Bombardment is the real deal. Yeah. Shout out to you. I think I think you went deeper ultimately on this format than I did. <laughs> I think that is true. I think maybe for the first time ever in the history of the podcast, but Arcane Bombardment's a sweet build around enchantment. It's four red red. And as you cast an instant or sorcery, you exile one from your graveyard. And then every successive instant or sorcery you cast, you get to exile another one and you get to cast all the exile 
and you get to cast all the exiled cards for free that you've exiled on prior turns. So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger the more instants and sorceries you cast. And it's a really powerful build around. You do need to set it up with a lot of good, you know, defensive removal. But if you get Arcane Bombardment in a Maestro shell that has, you know, 15 instants and sorceries and a lot of them are removal spells you're definitely doing the thing number 15 bootlegger stash is not the real deal but it is fun this is five and a green for the enchantment and it turns all of your lands into treasure producers they can tap to make a treasure token and this was very fun to play in conjunction with a pyre sludge arsonist stimulus package obviously like just popping off with like a Jenny Faye Jetmere second just all of your lands could make two twos with haste or three ones with vigilance that was pretty sweet yeah, this is on my list of things to do in the format that I did not get to do. And I think oh. I will probably not be doing any more SNC drafts. So I was a couple times I had a chance to pick it in best of one drafts before I switched over to best of three. And I was just too big of a coward. And then I never saw it in best of three drafts. Wow. Yeah. Rip two. never playing with bootlegger stash. Number 16, the official Lords of Limited recursion power rankings top slot fake your own death number two shout out to you graveyard shift love that card in conjunction with a dust mangler that's the five black black five four and when it etbs your opponent has to discard a card lose four life and sacrifice a creature and if you cast it from your hand you have to do one of those three things but if you reanimate it all upside baby yeah. Number three, dig up the body. And really bringing up the rear, I was super bummed this card just didn't pan out. Rogues Gallery, not a good card. Not a good card. It wanted you to go deep, and going deep was not good in the format. And also, if it's a two-color format, is this ever getting back more than two things? Nope, not really. Right. Number 17, Dusk Mangler, as we just talked about, is a strong finisher in a blue-black control deck. This was one of the cooler, like, top-end, non-rare things you could do in the format. Yes, and it was certainly possible to get to seven mana. You know, we're saying the format's fast. You had to have two drops. If you played by the rules of the format and traded cards, you know, with your opponent's early plays, you could get to the late game. And there were ways to cheat this out. We just talked about graveyard shift. There was also my fave big score, a three and a red instant as an additional cost to cast that you discard a card, draw two, make two treasure tokens. And you could big score on turn four. And then on turn five, you were playing your dust mangler in a red black deck. And again, you wanted it to be in a control shell because you wanted to get to the late game and hit your land drops. But if you did the thing with dust mangler, it was a very powerful effect usually. Oh, yeah, for sure. It closed the door a lot of the times if you like I, I like how you phrase that if you were playing by the rules of the format it could really close the door yes number 18 gathering throng was an excellent collect them all and some archetypes just could not beat you searching up three other gathering throngs yeah shout out to red green just folding to gathering throngs <laughs> just like you can't do anything about that that kind of card advantage and bodies that you have to deal with just you, there's nothing to do against that Yep, two and a white, three one, great card. Number 19, don't try to make Vampire Scrivener work. Believe me, I've tried. I have tried so many times and I don't know why. Like this card is so bad. This is the four and a black, two, two with flying. And on your turn, if you lose life or gain life, you get to put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And so, you know, you do stuff with Tavern Swindler or Cutthroat Contender or whatever. Your, your family fetch lands will gain you a life when you crack them. But it's just so, so slow and small ball. Yeah, it's just not good enough. And losing life is certainly something you don't want to do when you're playing a five mana two two flyer to grow it. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Vampire Scrivener is quite bad. Yeah. Number 20, unblockable fish tokens were quite good. So if you're coming back to the format, fish 
one one unblockable it's premium card premium card yeah and i think that's what made exotic pets so strong like i felt like lingering souls being able to make two from one card was really good so certainly like getting the fish from the lackey or or fish from the sleep with the fishes felt good you're like oh a removal plus an unblockable thing and then exotic pets making two of them sometimes two of them with a shield counter or two of them with a plus plus one counter is just really really good yeah and they wore equipment super well you know like let's say you play your quick draw dagger and then all of a sudden you're building a three three fish they just blue white was already the best deck <laughs> and I think would have been the best deck without fish tokens and getting an effect like this that played so perfectly into a tempo aggro game plan was just really strong. Yeah. Number 21, Ominous Parcel looks like it would be the golden egg of the format. It's not. And honestly, I don't think there is one. I was trying to like, I was like, okay, what card gets the golden egg award of the format? And I just don't think there is one. Rafine's informant like that doesn't count like that's just a good card <laughs> I know I know <laughs> there I think I don't think there is one I looked yeah. through the whole spoiler and I, I don't think anything wins the golden egg award where it's going to be an empty year on the on the trophy plaque wall oh my goodness yeah so so sad number 22 the family fixers almost all played out better than they looked yeah I was I was wrong I, I I'm mea culpa I was wrong about these I thought these were clunky unplayable whatever I mean adjudicators is just fantastic Sarah is still quite bad, the Obscura one, but they're they're mostly all very, very good. I, I remember specifically facing the Riveteers one in pre-release and just being like, oh my gosh, 5-5 five, five Vigilance Menace is so big, like just so hard to deal with. And obviously Adjudicators was great. You still didn't want to use them to splash themselves, right? You don't want to be in blue-white and just play like two Spars Adjudicators as your only green cards. Um, but that was rare that I think you were put in that position. Yeah, I think there were tiers, right? So adjudicators, clear number one, I think mm -hmm. Maestro's Outlaw, clear number two. And then I think there was a, a pretty clear gap for Rakish Revelers and Mass Bandits in the number three and four slot. And I was less happy to play those. And then the Angel was almost unplayable, I think. Yeah, I think like when you saw your opponent exile that, I, you were sort of fist pumping a little bit. You're like, all right, it's going to be a while before you cast that. Yes, for sure. Number 23, the cycle of charms were all serviceable, but nothing special. And I think this was largely due to it being a two color format. And so when you were base two colors, you were really looking for, okay, what are the cards that are worth splashing? And the charms just for how, how I think whatever they were just it was a removal spell or a divination or whatever like it wasn't anything special and for you to have to jump through the hoops of it being three colors of mana just felt bad most of the time amen number 24 illuminator virtuoso is an easy all-in strategy to support so this was one and a white for a one one double strike and whenever it got targeted by a spell you got to connive so you could put a plus and plus one counter on it and there were just ways to make it super evasive right i mean you could put security bypass on it obviously just like turn two virtuoso into turn three majestic metamorphosis you know connive away a spell put a counter on it and now it's a five five flyer with double strike until end of turn that's a huge chunk of damage. That's insane. And like the combat tricks being so good in this format and two drops being so important in this format made Virtuoso, which looked like, oh, a cute build around like Virtuoso was just a powerful card. Yes, with cards that comboed well with it that you were already going to play anyway in every blue white deck. Number 25, Fairy Vandal played really well with Connive. Like, I, I was really impressed by this card. I, I thought it was a, a cool reprint. I thought it was cute. But then seeing it play with Connive, seeing it wear a security bypass really well, like just the fact that, okay, I put this enchantment on my evasive threat, it connects, I get to Connive. 
I get to draw a card. I get a counter on it, maybe sometimes two counters on it, just really, really strong. Obviously, with Majestic Metamorphosis as a cantrip, the allied duels, you could crack those to cantrip. Fairy Vandal was sweet. Yeah, very good two drop in the format and not even a build around. It was just a good two drop in blue decks in the format. Number 26, strangely, types ended up mattering in this format a lot. Yeah, so obviously citizens as a creature type had a big theme, right? I mean, tapping them for civil servant or whatever. But beyond that, I was always sort of like, oh, huh, that's a thing. Like Giada as the rare 2-2 flying vigilance cared about angels there were actually a lot of angels, right? Inspiring Overseer was an angel. Celestial Regulator was an angel. Like it was not hard to to get a little angel tribal thing going on. You also had Evelyn as the Flash 2-5 in the Maestro's colors that cared about you casting vampires that was way easier to trigger than you would have thought, you know, heading into the format. Like how many vampires are there? There were a lot of vampires. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And Body Launderer as the uh, four mana 3-3 mythic that when it died, you could return a non-rogue creature. I had trouble being like oops all rogues when i had body <laughs> yep. wanderer in my deck because i just be like wait if, I, I just check my types and be like wait that's a rogue that's a rogue oh no everything's a rogue yep number 27 extract the truth is the truth ben shout out to you again i think you you called this the last hidden gem of streets of new capenna yeah and i can't take credit for this i think sure, this, sure, is, sure. this is all florida men uh, another streamer on Twitch, if you want to check them out. I think there was a lot of content creators other than us singing the praises of this card. But for me, certainly, this was the last gem of the format to discover for me. And it is a good two drop in the format. I think black decks are happy to run a copy. And it's not ideal, but you can run two copies. And I think certainly if you're trying to play defense in the format, this is a great way to play defense because then you get to line up your removal spells with the rest of the threats in your opponent's hand after you take their best one. It just did a lot of things for you. Moving on, we've got number 28. Civic Gardener is the mana dork of the format. Again, I remember watching your stream early-ish in the format. I think when you were still on like Brokers is Busted or like you want to be brokers or bust, you know, and you saw a Civic Gardener 11th pick and you were just bemoaning not being in green to be able to take it. And I was like, is this card even that good? Yes, this card is really good. I mean, obviously, you know, we keep talking about two drops, etc. But Civic Gardener really was a mana dork. And it changed. I think sometimes it changed how you wanted to compose your deck because you wanted as many ways to use that mana at instant speed, if at all possible. So you really could have it be a mana dork. Um, you know, being able to just play whatever two, two drops on turn three was awesome. Or, you know, giving stuff pseudo vigilance. I really was impressed by Civic Gardener by the end of the set. Yeah. And or just tapping out and then attacking and being able to untap a forest to still threaten for the family was uh-huh. super good as well. Yeah, yeah. Or just uh, you could like use that mana to exile your family fixer first and then untap that land and whatever. Like just there was a lot of small ways to accrue value with it. For sure. And types, citizen. And, and types, baby. Number 29, Streets of New Capenna had some serious bombs. Here are the Lords of Limited official bomb rankings. Number one, Sanctuary Warden. Number two, All-Seeing Arbiter. Number three, Titan of Industry. Number four, Hostile Takeover. And number five, Marshall Sutcliffe, a.k.a. Azia Tora, the Lords of Limited Incinerator. Holy cow. Rip us in the showdown. Just got ripped to shreds by Zia Tora with Marshall 3-0-ing with his clunky Maestro's deck. We've got more power rankings. Number 30, the official Lords of Limited two-color archetype power rankings. In the number one, solidly blue-white. <laughs> number two, white-green. Number three, blue-black. Number four, red, black. 
And number five, bringing up the rear by a long way, just getting lapped by blue white on the old gym track, red green. And number 31, the official Lords of Limited family power rankings. Ben, what's going to be a number one? Brokers? Like, what (laughs) the heck? Why? (laughs) Huge gap. Brokers. Number two, Maestros. I I don't know. I think Maestros made some ground towards the end of the format. No? I I mean, sure. But like, I made some ground and Brokers was still miles ahead. Yeah. All right. Number three, Obscura. Number four, Cabaretti. And bringing up the rear, Riveteers. Oof. Riveteers. Just give me that. I forget what that card is called. That stupid three mana, four, two haste uncommon. That's like indestructible the turn it comes into play. What a terrible magic card. Terrible magic card. Number 32, Jewel Thief was seriously overshadowed by Inspiring Overseer. I remember going into the set thinking that Jewel Thief might be better than Overseer. I was like, this is a lot. Vigilance. Like, like poor Sailor of Means. Three mana, three, three, <laughs> Vigilance, Trample, make a treasure token. Holy cow. Yeah, Jewel Thief was pushed. And honestly, there was no narrative about Jewel Thief being busted. <laughs> In the format, just partially because of how good white was and partially because of how busted inspiring overseer was. But Jewel Thief was really high up on the games in hand win rate. And I think probably would have been one of, if not the best common, if inspiring overseer weren't in the format. I think that's very, very true. Yeah. Number 33, Skycrier's activated ability was weirdly relevant when normally that effect is unusable. So this is one and white for the one one flying lifelink. And just let's stop there. That's just a good card. I mean, you need some ways to augment it, but it doesn't take much for that card to just be a problem, I'd say. Oh, for sure. That's what I thought the card was. Yes. And then three and a white activated ability to have each player draw a card. Sure, sometimes you would use that as a way to just, you know, refill your hand or whatever, draw a card in the late game when you'd already dumped out your own hand, dig towards your bomb, whatever. But then it was also like a win condition against poor blue black decks with all their snooping newsies. Yeah, I my first five drafts of the format, I activated Skycrier's ability like 15 times. <laughs> I had I had milled out an opponent one time. I had had it in tandem with Fairy Vandal, so I could Ooh. pay three and a white to grow my Fairy Vandal on my turn. It was just way more relevant than I ever would have guessed. I would have put the over under on me activating it in the format at like 0.5 times. Yeah, <laughs> and I activated it. Upwards of 50, I'm sure. That's really funny. Number 34, Casualty 1 is way less than Casualty 2. Why is Light 'em Up Casualty 2? There were so, so many times. That was a, that was maybe my big mistake where I would like map out a complicated turn. And part of my thought process was, <laughs> well, I can sack my corrupt court official to my, my Light 'em Up. And then I would go to do that. I'm like, wait, why can't I select this one? Pa- oh, it's Casualty 2. <laughs> yeah, Casualty 1, way less than Casualty 2 for sure. Yeah. And Casualty 2 cards were not good. Casualty 1 cards were. Yeah. Number 35, Make Disappear might be the best blue common and not just against Ben, folks. Who knew? Yeah. Holy cow. This was a wild swing. I would have told you. I would never cast Make Disappear at the start of the format. This is on principle. Even Mm -hmm. if it were maybe playable, I wouldn't do it because I hate that effect and it's normally so bad and limited. But Blue did not have any other two drops. This was it. Mm -hmm. And it was good and played well in Blue's tempo game plan. Like Blue Black decks wanted to be a little tempo-y. Blue White decks wanted to be really tempo-y. And the fact that you could make this, you know, up to your opponent having to pay four mana with certain cards just meant that it stayed relevant longer. It was just a really good card. I don't know. 
I, I don't know that it was the best blue comet. I think it might have been Echo Inspector, but there were so many good fours. It was hard yeah. to pick Echo Inspector over this. Like, I'm taking my first copy of Make Disappear over Echo Inspector. Well, and it also gave you a way to one for one with a lot of things that you couldn't once they hit the battlefield, right? You can one for one with an Overseer if you counter it. You can one for one with a Blitzed creature if you counter it, you know? And you can't really do that with any other kind of effect. You can one for one with a thing with a shield counter. Like, Make Disappear, I think, not only in in the context of the set in terms of what you could snag with it. And then also in the context of having casualty one so that it's not dead in the late game, like quench style effects generally are. I, th- I think make disappear is just a rock solid card. You know, I, I also accidentally joined an SNC draft last week with the, the Theros beyond death cues. And I did draft that format for the last time. I first picked a Rigo and then just ended up in blue white with three make disappears and they were stellar. Yeah. And I think you have to be willing to leave them up on the critical turns because your opponents are going to cast things into them. So if you're playing against a white opponent, leave that make disappear up when they go to turn three, because they're going to play inspiring overseer if they have one. Similarly for black decks on four mana, you know, try mm-hmm. to nab that girder goon. So time things out based on what you know in the format. Yeah. Number 36, knowing how to play defense without planning on blocking was a critical skill and deck building concept in Streets of New Capenna. This is all you, baby. Talk to me. Yeah, I think normally playing defense, we think about defensive speed. We think about putting an 0-4 in your deck or putting a 1-4 in your deck for two mana, you know, and, you know, maybe getting artificial card advantage, virtual card advantage, because that one thing holds back multiple of your opponent's creatures. Blocking was just a bad plan in the format because of how good the tricks were, like Majestic Metamorphosis, like Quick Draw Dagger. So you really had to either get lifelink creatures, you know, to kind of race in the air and buffer your life total, or you had to have really cheap interactive removal like strangle or even something like extract the truth you know was a way to get your opponent's discipline duelist before it hit the battlefield so thinking about other ways to interact with your opponent's cards other than blocking number 37 wrecking crew has reach but also wrecking crew is huge that's just a good card very big and very hard to deal with demands an answer yeah number 38 Blue black decks had so many good yet interchangeable four drops. We've already sung the praises of Echo Inspector. Girder Goons Blitzed is an honorary four drop. Deal Gone Bad, which I honestly think like I thought that card was going to be terrible. We argued about that in the crash course. That ended up being really important to deal with creatures with shield counters on them. Out of the way, run out of town, lots of good, but nothing like a cut above the rest as a four drop, I would say. Yeah, so it was tough to pick four drops aggressively because you were happy with all of them. Number 39, Nightclubber is either game winning or irrelevant and rarely in between. Nightclubber plus fake your own death was perhaps my favorite thing to do in the format. I did it once and it was awesome. Yeah, um, but Nightclubber is just awesome as a way to, I think its best scenario was against white decks that like as your way to catch up of them, you know, dumping a bunch of gathering throngs on the board or whatever, cleaning up citizen tokens, all that good stuff. Nightclubber was a really important piece of the format. Yes, very good anti-white tech. And I think a lot of times brought it in my hand. And the weird thing is you it probably was in your opponent's hand too. You just don't get to see it. So you're always thinking your opponent's nightclubbers are busted and yours aren't, but you don't get to see the times when your opponent's choosing not to cast nightclubber against your board, you know? Mm-hmm, for sure. Number 40, big score is one of the only ways to try to have fun in the format. Yeah, this is this is the Ben Wernie going deep life, just trying to feel something with three big scores in your deck. Yeah, and I think this is not a good card necessarily. It can be good in certain decks, but you have to get the premium mythics before you're really actually seriously interested in big scores. So three and a white instant 
uh, as an additional cost to cast it, you discard a card, you draw two, and you make two treasure tokens. It helps you ramp and helps you splash the big mythic bombs. You know, a titan of industry, you want some big scores in your deck. Or even something like the Broker 7-mana rare, Soul of Emancipation, that was a 5-7 and lets you blow up some non-land permanents to make 3-3 three, three angels. Like, that flew around the table because Broker's decks didn't want a 7-mana card. So you could snap that up and then include some big scores, splash that, and was a really reliable way to have an awesome card in your deck. So I think, while not certainly plan A in the format, something to keep an eye out for, especially if you're playing best of three, just because there's a little more wiggle room time-wise in best of three drafts. Number 41, freelance muscle is huge and keyword big mattered in this format. So this was the five mana four, four at uncommon and green that said whenever it uh, attacked or blocked, it got plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the greatest power or toughness among other creatures you controlled. Having two freelance muscles was hilarious because like one turned into an eight, eight and the other one turned into a 12, 12. Um, (laughs) Again, just like hard to deal with. These big creatures got out of range of like, strangle and deal gone bad and so you just needed that like hard removal and there wasn't a lot of chump blocking fodder either and you just didn't want to be in that position because it was a fast format muscle was big muscle was big number 42 treasure and treasure build arounds are largely a trap unless they're using them to ramp and splash big mythics and even then probably still a trap i mean stimulus package had promise as the red green you know whatever signpost uncommon Except it's so awkward, one, that like red-green was so far behind the other color pairs, red being so far behind the other colors, but then awkward that like this doesn't stack well at all, right? Once you have a stimulus package in play, the next copy of it that you draw is just purely dead, or I guess it's four mana make two treasure tokens, and then you can use them how you want, but like that's pretty punishing. Yeah, but it feels bad when these obvious build arounds just are no good, right? Like stimulus package looks like sweet. I should do this red green treasure deck and put my glitter mongers in here to make some treasure to go off with my stimulus package. And it just wasn't good enough to hang with the actual cards in the format, even when you assembled that combo. Number 43, disciplined duelist looked innocuous during preview season until you saw it on the other side of the battlefield. And then it was just clear how impossible it was to interact with that in combat, right? You're just like, okay, so if I double block, then I lose both of my creatures and I trade with a shield counter, question mark? I distinctly remember where I was. So my brothers (laughs) and I I went to a pre-release at our LGS And afterwards, we were like building some decks so that I could try to figure out some things for the podcast before we recorded, because this was the first time ever we had the paper pre-release before the online pre-release since we've started the podcast. And so I'm sure I rated Discipline Duelist like a C plus in our set review. If we went back and looked, I I bet that's something like that. And my brother cast it on curve on turn three on the other side of the battlefield. I was at my parents' kitchen table and I was thinking, oh, my God. Like, how am I going to deal with this card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really, really tough to deal with. Number 44, backup agent is the best that effect has ever been. So this is one and a white for a 1-1 one, one when ETBs put a plus plus one counter on target creature. Normally, this is a green two drop rather than a white two drop. Mm-hmm. But there were just so many great places to put the counter too, right? There were unblockable fish tokens. There was disciplined duelist. There were evasive flyers like inspiring overseer. It just played really well. Not to mention that there was just actual synergy with plus one plus one counters baked into the format. I wish I hadn't backed off of my love for this kind of card because then I could have been right about it 
for this set at least having been wrong about it for every other time we've seen it like i remember like this this kind of effect existed in zendikar rising and i was like this is gonna be so good and it was so bad it's like flipping coins right you choose tails 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 and you yeah, lose yeah, three yeah. times in a row and then you choose heads and you lose and you're like ah dang yeah it. exactly can't win number 45 in the top 20 commons by game and hand win rate on 17 lands only three cards are not in brokers girder goons snooping newsy and murder that's wild if that doesn't speak volumes about the imbalance of this format i don't know what does that is crazy yeah number 46 corrupt court official was not virus beetle so i I do want to try and unpack this a little bit and i guess it's mostly largely just like about the two drop problem or just how warped two drops were but why why wasn't this card that good because lands and spells did matter like thanks to connive existing right so like you weren't happy Like when your opponent played this, you weren't like, oh, great. I'm like thrilled to discard this card. You weren't. But then it wasn't like a relevant body on the battlefield, right? That was that was the issue, right? You needed your two drops to be able to block and trade or race and corrupt court official did neither of those things. It was like essentially not playing a two drop until later on turn, you know, four or five, you had some synergy with a casualty card with it. And even then, a lot of those casualty one cards weren't board affecting like they were ways to accrue value. And accruing value was not the thing to do in the format unless you were doing it via casting Inspiring Overseer or something, you know, like Mm -hmm. assembling two cards to, you know, get up a card on your opponent was just not what the format was about. For sure. Number 47, the cycle of ascendancies were all largely flops, except you guessed it, Broker's Ascendancy. Putting a plus one plus one counter on each creature at the end of each turn was wild. Yeah, that card was great. I got to play with it in the aforementioned pre-release and many times over the course of the format, and it is very powerful. The others, not so good. So yeah, maybe an impromptu power rankings, I would put Obscura Ascendancy at number two, like fun. And I I definitely did the thing with that card multiple times, getting to like make a bunch of two twos. I even got to the fifth counter once to give all my spirits plus three, plus three. And then I would say... I never cast, I think, Cabaretti or Maestro's Ascendancy, and I tried to do Riveteer's Ascendancy once, and it was atrocious. I think I'd put Maestro's in three, Cabaretti four, Riveteer's five. Yeah. Yeah, that seems good to me. Number 48. There were a lot of Wraths in the format, but none of them were particularly good except for Hostile Takeover. Yeah, Hostile Takeover was really pushed, as we talked about, one of the best rares in the entire set. Corpse Explosion was awkward right like its best friend was a blitzed girder goon so you could reliably get a big thing in the yard so then then you had something to exile that could reliably sweep the board but that's a lot of setup for a wrath right and then there was depopulate which was in white except that was a little awkward because white really wanted to be proactive and play a tempo game like it didn't want to play a control game and then structural assault was just unplayable there was no way to really wrath with that uh sir please i did side that in against an unlicensed hearse <laughs> as a five mana way to blow up an artifact well there you go there you go and then there was incandescent aria which for some reason i could never remember didn't kill non-token things mm-hmm. it was a uh, red white green deal three damage to each non-token creature and all of those were sort of conditional right and then also kind of got owned if your opponent had shield counter creatures and a lot of times they did because shield counter creatures were good in the format so i just think all all of those things added up to make the rest of the wraths not particularly great 
hostile takeover was just plague wind usually and win the game doing the last chance trial thing for um the scg con pittsburgh tournament i had a deck with incandescent aria in it and i was like setting up this i was like okay i'll, I'll let him overextend one more turn or I'll, I'll wait one more turn maybe get some more value and then just oh just gonna blow him out with this incandescent aria and oh wait this doesn't kill any of your fish tokens <laughs> oh no rip me <laughs> whoops yeah. like took extra damage and like basically two for one myself awesome oh, no <laughs> number 49 snc drafts incentivized you to lock in an archetype earlier than usual during the draft usually before the wheel in pack one and i would say this like whatever rule of engagement is like it's two drops and it's understanding this that like you cannot hashtag delay the decision at all basically right because whatever you were picking two drops aggressively and whatever colors you picked the two drops in, that's where you wanted to stay because the two drops were that important. Yeah, it was really, really hard to pivot in this format. So if you're coming back to draft the set after a hiatus or having never drafted it before and you're listening to this episode, just understand that it's a lot different. It's really, really difficult to get deep in one color in pack one. You're almost always getting deep into a color pair in pack one. Right, because those two drops were so powerful. You know, you pick a civil servant, you really want to be green-white because playing a civil servant on turn two is great. Yeah. All right, take us home. Number 50, both drafts and gameplay patterns were very repetitive in Streets of New Capenna. Yeah, we never, I think brokers and white were just too far ahead of the pack for even once. I, I think, you know, we, we had a, a met, quote unquote metagame shift of like brokers being overdrafted or whatever. But once you understood that, you know, unless you're seeing powerful stuff in other colors and those other colors are clearly open, you're just so incentivized to get into white because like what you said about Inspiring Overseer, you're just likely to see or open an Overseer or Rafine's Informant or a Regulator or a Civil Servant. And it doesn't take many of those cards before you're just like, yep, I'm in. Well, and I think the other thing, even after the format kind of course corrected, there was a feeling of like, I think even among people that were spiky and trying to win, God, I really don't want to play with white again. And then mm -hmm. eventually you'd get to a table where like people were trying to do other things. And then one person still got a busted white deck. And then you're still playing against that person with the busted white deck in the queues, right? Like in the finals or, you know, once you hit 4x, 5x, 6x and best of one, like you're just always playing against turn two Rafine's informant, turn three inspiring overseer. And like it was exhausting after a while. And, you know, I get it. We're going to we're going to keep seeing guild sets, right? It's a it's a popular thing. It, it seats a lot of interesting cards in a constructed yada yada. I do think these are like actually good. These are better like than core sets in my mind for newer drafters because their options are, are more limited, right? You only have five color pairs to choose from. It's easier to get on rails, whatever. And then, you know, you can weed out the noise from each pack and make your picks easier. But they're tough for content creators, I'd say. I think they're just tough for, you know, finding finding content, finding new things to talk about for a format that's out for two months. Well, and I think it certainly could have been better than this as well, right? Like yes. missing missing on the draft portion being deep while also missing on the gameplay portion being particularly deep while also missing on, you know, the, the balance of the five families or the five, you know, guild color pairs. Those are a lot of big misses to combine into one set. Yeah, and, and really hard. And I think that the gameplay being repetitive as well, not only seeing the kinds of cards, but the kind of play patterns in the sense of, you know, no matter what strategy you were, you were almost always trying to attack and leverage combat tricks, which made blocking terrible or blocking disastrous or whatever. And just like you were faced with the same kinds of situations and decisions draft in and draft out. Yep. 
And it got old after a while. So I will not be sorry to be seeing the back end of Streets of New Capenna, despite there being 67 days left on my Magic Online League. <laughs> I am going to leave those tickets in the ether. Wow. Leaving the tickets in the dust. So we've got Chromatic Cube for a couple weeks. We obviously have Alchemy, Horizons, Baldur's Gate coming to Arena. We have Double Masters coming to Paper and Magic Online. We have no shortage of sets and content to talk about in the coming months, Ben. What's your temperature right now, just on what you've seen so far on Alchemy Horizons? I mean, I saw that whatever that six-sided card, and I threw up in my mouth a little bit. (laughs) Alex messaged me. He was like, hey, do you want to do a a card-by-card set review for this? And I was like, uh, if this is the kind of card we can expect, absolutely not. Um, so that's my temperature right now. What about you? Yeah, I think that was a fairly big turnoff for me, but I am hopeful that the draft format will be interesting, right? Like as uninterested as I am in alchemy as a concept for MTG, I do think like it has potential for limited and I wish it would be applied for limited more in terms of like balancing cards they missed on in Streets of Nucapenna, right? Like I think if they go in and they make five to ten tweaks to cards via alchemy all of a sudden streets of nuka is a much more fun draft format right i wish that were the way it would be applied and maybe it will be in the future and if this is the gateway to that happening i'm very willing to take part in this gateway i will be curious if they ever do that i wonder if there's if there's mileage for them to like you know expend resources to like you know put people or or, or hire independent contractors wink wink nudge nudge watsy um <laughs> who who are invested in rebalancing a limited format like that like to, to rebalance commons but i just feel like people are going to draft a set no matter what because they're degenerates you know sure yeah but i mean it would be awesome if there were even if it were just an event like if there were a yeah. streets of new capenna event for a week that were hey this is the rebalance thing towards the end of the format you know this is what we think will make it cool like that would i would love that right yeah, that would be super awesome. Like a, a twist, like a new puzzle to sort of solve or a new puzzle to attempt, uh, you know, when the format feels solved or, or dead or whatever. Yeah, would be great. So I, I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic about Alchemy Horizons. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, if, if for nothing else, it'll be certainly fun initially. Like new sets to draft are always fun. Yes, for sure. And lots of content coming out in the coming weeks. So first, that's it for now. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later
Number four, backup agent oh, is oh. the number what? 44. Is that not what I said? You said number four. Oh, I would have bet you a lot of money that I said number 44. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Discord just, just like blipped you out at the perfect time for it to sound like number four to me. Check the tapes. We'll go to the tapes. <laughs>